Good morning, church. Um, just would ask for your uh, prayers today. The Cowboys are playing today. And uh, as we all know, um, you know, our country needs to be united in this divided time. And so we're going to spend the next 45 minutes just in prayer for the Dallas Cowboys. That, um, so let's all gather around. No, just kidding. I'm a huge Cowboys fan. And um, that's actually going to tether uh, ourselves to the text here in a little bit as we talk about demon possession and uh, f- uh, heavy fevers. So that it's all going to make sense at the end of this. So we're in the middle of a study in the Gospel of Mark. We're calling it Disciple as we're looking at what it means uh, to follow after Jesus. We see in the scriptures that we're, we're not only like students to a teacher, that relationship with Jesus, where we learn from Jesus as kind of his students, him being the teacher, uh, but we're, it's more than that. There's something else there. And we're not just like uh, followers to a leader. The relationship with Jesus is more dynamic than just as a follower to a leader. The language of disciples speaks to a depth of relationship or proximity, a closeness to Jesus. And so we're going to, throughout the study of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus with the expectation that we're not only going to learn from Jesus, Not only are we going to be following his lead, but also that we're going to be deepening our relationship with Jesus. So wherever you're at in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. Listen, that's all the disciples in the Gospel of Mark. Like everyone, as we read, like you're in the text, right? So if you're confused about Jesus, maybe you kind of just have an inkling about what it means to follow Jesus. I want you to see in the text, as we go through this whole study over these coming months, that that's all of the disciples of Jesus are like super confused. He's constantly blowing their mind. And there's this constant, sometimes there's frustration, but also this joy of discovery in learning who Jesus is. And for those of you who've been following Jesus maybe for a long time, maybe for, for decades even, uh, I know that as we engage in this, uh, this series together, especially as you engage in studying this with people who are different than you and they're going to bring up different ideas and opinions, that, that your relationship with Jesus is going to grow and your understanding of who Jesus is is going to become more vibrant. Last week, we talked about how Jesus calls us to follow him. He says, follow me. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, uh, be a Christian. Jesus doesn't say, adopt my religion. Jesus says, follow me. And he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And we saw last week that the good news of the kingdom is what he's constantly talking about as he goes and he spreads the news. In fact, we recognized last week that the word gospel is just the word good news. So when we talk about the gospel, we just mean the good news. And the good news of what? The good news of the kingdom of God, namely that Jesus is the risen king. And so we have opportunities to follow after the king. Today, in, as we're picking up in the text in the, in the gospel of Mark chapter 1, we're going to ask ourselves the question, if, if in the first study we learned that Jesus said, follow me, the next question we want to ask is, where? Follow Jesus, where? And one of the things that we'll discover today is that uh, Jesus leads his disciples into the dark. He leads his disciples into the dark. I'd like to just tease that out a little bit today. Uh, What we're going to do here is I'm going to read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through chapter 2, and I think we end at verse 12. And so uh, for those of you who are joining us in person today, uh, I believe you would have gotten a handout on your way in. You've got that printed out for you. Of course, you're free to use uh, a Bible if you brought one. By the way, if you guys don't own a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. There are some available on the tables in the back. 
You can get up right now and go grab one if you want to, or you can grab one on your way out and just receive that as our gift to you. Please don't take 20 of them and sell them on eBay unless you cut me in on the deal. Uh, for those of you who are joining us online, it's so good to be with you, uh, even digitally this morning. Um, so I'll just encourage you, uh, if you have a print Bible, grab that. We'll be in Mark chapter 1 and 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible handy, no problem. Just go to like Bible.com or BibleGateway.com, and they've got digital versions. And we're going to use the Christian standard, the CSB uh, version today. We talked last week, and, and I'll just remind us again this week, that uh, my understanding of the, ma the majority, if not all, of the uh, material in your Bible was artistically designed, not primarily to be read, but primarily to be heard. We remembered last week that the majority of Christians throughout church history uh, did not read the Bible, whether they were literate or they didn't have enough money to be able to buy a print or a handwritten copy. Uh, the majority of Jesus followers throughout church history have heard the text, and even like memorized it. And so what we're going to do during this series is we're going to spend a lot of time just allowing ourselves to hear the text as well. So I'm going to read it. I'd encourage you, um, if, if it's helpful to you, you know, close your eyes, maybe just even take a deep breath in and, and allow the word to just be spoken over you. And, and, and you don't need to, to kind of, uh, there's not going to be a test after, so this isn't like, you're not going to get quizzed. Here's my encouragement to you, as you hear the word read, would you just be attentive to what God is doing in your heart as you hear these words? Just, there's, there's no right or wrong, like there's not going to be a test, but just, just be attentive to maybe what God brings up in your mind and your heart. Maybe even allow your imagination to be at work as you hear uh, this word spoken over you. And so this is Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and on. Now they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue. On the Sabbath, and he began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One. God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went up to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her. She began to serve them. Now when evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town had assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. 
Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go into the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. For this is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he tells the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. You see in this text, Jesus not only has called his disciples to follow him, but notice where he takes them. He takes them into the dark. Did you notice some of the people that we met even just in that story? Who did we meet? We met people who what? Were sick? We had people with a fever, debilitating fever. What else do we have? Everyone's like, okay, come on. Demon possessed, right? You get like evil incarnate, like enfleshed. Is this not darkness? Jesus invites his followers to follow him into the uncomfortable, broken, dark corners of the world. As a church family, we 
radically believe this. Like we think that Jesus is the Lord over every aspect of our lives. We also truly believe that Jesus invites us to bring him into the dark corners of our lives, into the conversations that we don't want to have, into the spaces that we think are just so broken they're beyond repair. And one of the ways that we're working to equip uh, us as a church family to do that uh, is through a ministry that we're kind of kicking off this year called At the Table, where we're able to set the table, so to speak, and invite our church family and others from our community to actual tables to have guided conversations in these difficult topics. I, I, I uh, love working with Dawn Farmer. She's our executive minister, and she's kind of heading up this project. And uh, I wanted her just to share a little bit more about that with you. Take a look at this. So in the next couple of months, we are launching a new initiative called At the Table. And so we want to create an opportunity for us to come together with people who are maybe are different or our stories are, are vastly different in order to be able to have conversation, in order to be able to ask questions again in a safe environment and, and learn uh, maybe a compassion for someone's story who is very different than ours. And so I encourage you to watch for more information about At the Table as we'll be hosting those uh, in in the evening and inviting special guests uh, to be able to have these conversations with us. So just to give you an idea of some of the topics uh, and, and just hold on to your hats, kids, uh, we're going to be talking about things like uh, racism, uh, ethnocentrism, gender, sexuality, sexual assault and abuse. We'll have conversation with different uh, religious leaders within the valley as well, as, along with a bunch of other conversations that as we look at what's going on in our community right now, we've got to bring Jesus into the conversation and we want to invite everybody into those difficult conversations. We want to be a place where we can have conversations where we might disagree or misunderstand each other, but where all of us are committed to living out the fruit of the Spirit and 1 Corinthians 13 love as we talk about these really difficult to understand topics. So I invite you to stay tuned for more information on that. Um, you can also use the Next Steps cards to let us know if you're interested in uh, participating in the At the Table. Jesus invites his disciples into these dark spaces, into these broken places. What we're going to do now is just go through the text together and just notice some things. And my encouragement to you would be that you would maybe take notes or just take note of what God might be revealing to you even as we study together. Uh, let's go ahead and jump right in. So we'll, um, we can pull it up here on the screen, I think. Um, we'll be in verse 21 to start with. You'll notice they went into uh, Capernaum, uh, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. Okay, so what's the first thing Jesus does here, at least in this text? You guys tell me. He goes to church. Well, yeah, similar, right? He goes to religious worship as he would have as a, and I just want to notice this, as a Jewish man, right? Where does he go to worship? Synagogue, right? On which, uh, which holy day? Sabbath, right? This is one of Jesus' normal practices. I just want to notice that Jesus is a Jewish man living among a Jewish community where you're going to see his Jewishness kind of all over the place as you read through the Gospel of Mark. So I just want to notice that. And notice what he's doing in the synagogue. He's teaching. Now, just notice that, right? Jesus calls his disciples in the previous chapter. He says, follow me. And then he takes them to synagogue and he begins to teach. Now, how does he teach? We'll find out. Hold on to your hats, kids. They were astonished at his teaching, 
because he was teaching them as one who had, what's the word? Authority. I just want you to notice something. Right here, the Gospel of Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, is trying to elevate authority. He's going to do this multiple times in this text. Because Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. And one of the questions we might have is, well, on whose authority are you the king? And here you have Mark laying out the authority. So he's, got, he's teaching like one with authority, not like the scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. This is really weird. You guys aren't nodding in agreement. Imagine that a demon-possessed person jumped up in that seat and began to um, cry out. How would that make you feel? Come now. We're not going to do it, by the way. Like, uh, there's not a plan like uh, this that I know of. I mean, it might happen. Uh, right? Would you feel comfortable or uncomfortable? you feel uncomfortable. I would feel very uncomfortable. And I have a back exit. I'd be like, see y'all. <laughs> right? right? This is quite strange that immediately in the synagogue is this uh, person who's got an unclean spirit. This is quite rare. Especially if the person was known to have an unclean spirit, they would not have let him in the synagogue. So just notice that. And he cries out, what do you have to do with, is it singular or plural? Notice this. What do you have to do with us? And then you've got two names for the one to whom they're speaking. Jesus of Nazareth, which is what everyone would have known him by, right? Everyone would have known him as Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy, singular or plural? Okay, us. I know, singular or plural. I, right? Did you guys notice the switch? Now, this is interesting. It may well be that this demonic spirit is speaking on behalf of all of the demonic spirits. And I just want to remind us that Mark has already set up the, his gospel in political and military language, right? Jesus came, I'll just prove it to you. Jesus came proclaiming the good news of what? The kingdom of God. That the kingdom is here in Jesus. And so I, I, I'm going to argue this from the text. I think what the author of Mark is doing is showing you that there are, there's the kingdom of God and who's the baddie? The kingdoms of darkness, the kingdoms of this world, right? The kingdoms of which this demon and all the other demons belong. Do you see it? Have you come to destroy not just me, have you come to destroy us? Do you see here you have the battle lines being drawn be be between the light and the dark, between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, between the power of God and the powers, the rulers, and authorities of this world. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Here's the second name. You are the Holy One of God. Now, you might be saying, is this demon a Christian? Notice that the demon knows, even if those in the synagogue don't. And even, the, even this, is, this is a recurring literary device that Mark will continue to use throughout the Gospel of Mark. I just want you to notice something. In fact, I want to encourage you guys to do something today. I think you should go home today and read the whole Gospel of Mark. I had a woman who's a friend of mine. She's one of my neighbors. And she sent me a note. And she said, hey, I'm reading the Bible on Saturday, thanks to you. And I was like, yeah. You could read it every day if you wanted to. But like today, read the Gospel of Mark and notice... Where the author puts the proclamations of who Jesus is. It's not the faithful few 
who proclaim the truth about who Jesus is primarily, it's the most odd and unlikely characters in the story that proclaim the truth about who God is. Notice who is calling him the Holy One of God. The demon. Do you, do you catch it? Okay, let's keep going. Oh, this, isn't this fun? Right? Are we, I mean, come on. This is so much fun. Okay, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him, right? So another, that be silent is not like this. Shh. It's, it's like be muzzled, like shut up, right? Jesus can say that, can he? Yeah, okay. So be silent or shut up and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shut it with a loud voice and came out from him. Or fli- fli- Notice what happened. The demon flees. Did you guys see it? At the presence and the command of Jesus, what does the demon do? Fle- Everybody stay with me. Flees, right? They were all amazed. No kidding. Huh? Right? No kidding. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with, what's the word? A teaching, not only is Jesus teaching, but here he, is comma- he has command and sovereignty over the rulers and the princes of darkness. Okay? A teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they do what? They obey him. Okay, let's keep going. At once, again, in Mark, we'll notice how fast Mark is. Mark is always saying immediately, at once, all of a sudden, at once, the news about him spread through the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house, house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. Now, are we talking about demon possession now? Or did we switch topics? We switched topics, right? Now what are we talking about? We're talking about a, um, a sickness that has a fever that makes a person incapacitated. Okay? Uh, a fever, and they told him about her at once. She, uh, so he went into her, took her by the hand, TV time out. We do not have any historical record of a Jewish rabbi grabbing a woman who is sick by the hand. This would have been dangerous because what do fevers tend to do? Moreover, here she's, 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 she's maybe dying even from, from what we can tell. In fact, I think maybe this is kind of a serious, like this isn't like an ibuprofen situation. And the reason I say that is just because well, I think there's a clue in the text. Took her by the hand, and what verb gets used? He takes her by the hand, and what does he do? Raises her up. You're going to see Mark use raise up a few times, but one of the most vivid times is where Jesus is raised up from the dead. I think what the author's doing here is he's giving you a mini resurrection to get you ready for the ultimate resurrection that's going to be at the end of Mark. I think what the author here is doing is showing that as Jesus comes into these spaces of darkness, as the king of glory, as the king of kings, the king of the kingdom of God comes into these spaces where the dominions of death seem to rule and reign, the dominions of death flee, and you've got life where there was death. You've got resurrections happening. Where the kingdoms of darkness uh, disintegrate, right? So if God's a creative God, the alternate gods are destructive gods. If, If God is a loving God who breathes life, those who are subject to the kingdoms of darkness breathe not life, but what? Death and decay. 
And I think that's why Mark can just easily connect, not, not, that, not that one causes the other, but he puts together demon possession and bodily sickness because he sees them both coming from the same kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Because one is a soul disintegration, so to speak, and the other is a physical disintegration. And what God wants for us is to be whole, or to put it another way, to have life abundance. So King Jesus steps into these spaces and the demons flee. Notice what the fever did. Did you guys catch it? It didn't say the fever got cooler or the fever went away. What did the fever do? What did the demon do? Fled. What's the fever do? It flees. Because when the king of life steps into these spaces of darkness, the powers of darkness cannot help but to flee. And you have resurrections happening when Jesus is present. That which was dead is now made live again. He raised her up. The fever left her and she began to minister to them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The ancients know that there's a difference, right? Sick and demon-possessed, right? These are, these are people who are suffering under the domain of darkness. Keep going. The whole town was this. Oh, I love this. Okay, so I just, want you, I just want you to imagine, okay? Ready? Imagine this. Imagine that Jesus raises up Simon's mother-in-law, and she begins to minister to them. And then all of a sudden, the entire city, full of people who are suffering under the demonic oppression and the, the oppression of death of the body, they start coming out of the woodwork and they're crowding around Simon's mother-in-law's house. They're, they're, they're throng, I mean, they're just, the, the whole city comes out. Desperate people looking for hope. So much so that people can't even get inside the house. Do you see it? I mean, just imagine, right? Like light breaks into darkness and people who are living under oppression of Satan, sin, and death cannot help but say, Jesus, where are you? There's light here. And they're thronging around him. They're longing to be with him, longing to see the light. The whole town is assembled at the door. And he heals many who are sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, right? Do you get this? This is a people who have been suffering under oppression of the kingdoms of darkness for too long. And in comes the king. He drove out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning. Okay, so I just want to go back one second. Okay, so um, hi, I have a, um, like a running prayer list uh, for y'all. So like when I find out somebody's sick or maybe there's a death or a need or a job or whatever, whatever it may be, um, I've got a running list. And um, pray, I pray for y'all every week. And uh, in the last two weeks, the amount of people sick in our congregation is over 100 names that I know. That's the first for me. And I, I mean, it's, it's hit our house, it's hit our extended family, it's hit, it's hit friends in our circles, whether it's um, Omicron or Decepticon or whatever the cron is now, I, whatever it is, right? Uh, and for some of us, um, you know, we're, we're 
just kind of not feeling so great. For others of us, it's, it's, really, it's really scary right now. And uh, my family and I, like, we're trying to do the best we can, you know, trying to follow the protocols and, and want to take care of each other and take care of our neighbors. We're listening to the doctors in our lives and trying to do that. But, but more than that, um, I, I've, not, <laughs> I've not been more in need of a Jesus that brings healing than now for our church. And I've not felt that as deeply. Um, just the last couple of years, I've, in a very deep and profound way, I've just needed this Jesus so bad. I don't know about you. And the great news is, is that there's, there's always resurrection in the kingdom. There's always hope and healing in the kingdom. And it may not come in the way that I want. It may not come in the form. We've done more funerals in the last couple of years than we had been at before. And yet there's a hope that the kingdoms of darkness do not win. Even though right now, for me at least, and I think for many of us, it may seem like they're gaining traction. But how much more so then for us to look to Jesus, just this throng of people coming out, looking at Jesus. And so when uh, my encouragement to you, and I, I know many of you that are joining us online are, are out sick right now, and I know for some of you it's really, really scary. And I don't want to say trite things like it'll all work out in the end or, you know, at least it's not as bad as whatever. I just want to say this, that Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. That he holds you in the palm of his hand. That he's the king over the cosmos and over every molecule in your body. And he is the great physician and healer. And however he chooses to work, he loves you more than you could ever imagine and has only your good in mind. And so rest at peace knowing your king. So Jesus, the next morning, while it was still dark, gets up, goes out, and makes his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions search for him. Now, I think this is kind of hilarious. I think Jesus is a little annoyed, right? Why do I think Jesus was annoyed? Uh, for those of you who, uh, like, you have children. And you go to your room, which, well, you know, becomes our room eventually, but some of you may recognize this, right? Like you've got kids and you go to your room just for a little peace and quiet. Inevitably, where do your children end up? Next to you. And usually is their volume higher or lower than you prefer, right? And you're like, just give me, I think that same thing's going on here. Like look at the great links that Jesus goes to to be alone. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he's like, wake up Simon, don't wake up, right? Don't wake up Andrew. He goes, and where does he go? To a what place? Deserted place. He's like, I, I just, I gotta get out of here, right? I need some Sabbath. I need some rest. And then inevitably what happens? Simon and his companions are searching for him. Jesus! Hey! JC, where are you at? Now, I think that this is hilarious, and here's why. Do you remember in, earlier in this chapter, Jesus said, follow me? I think maybe Simon took it really literally. Like, I'm going to follow Jesus every step he takes. So he, he and his companions searched for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. 
He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You guys getting this rhythm? He's teaching with authority. He's casting out demons with authority. He's healing with authority. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me, what's the word? Now this is interesting. He doesn't say you can make me whole or healed. He says you can make me what? Clean, because he would have been considered a social outcast because of his disease. This man wants more than just a physical healing. He wants to be reintegrated into community life. And so he says, make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand. This is interesting. Moved with compassion. In some of the uh, manuscripts that we have, it says he was filled with anger. In fact, in, if you have a print Bible, you might have a little note that says some of the ma manuscripts say filled with anger. And I actually would prefer that translation, and here's why. Do you think he's angry at the man? What's he angry at? Remember, Mark has set us up here to see Jesus as the king of the kingdom of God, confronting the kingdom or kingdoms of this world, or the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of death. And here this leprosy has taken hold of this man, which has brought disintegration to his body and disintegration to his relationships. Could it be that Jesus is furious at the kingdom of darkness? And so filled with a fury and anger towards that kingdom, he does a healing. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. Offer what Moses commanded. Again, Jesus is a Jewish man. For your cleansing is a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely, to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. Again, people are thronging around Jesus. People who have been under oppression for so long are looking for a new king. But he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from where? Chapter 2, when he entered Capernaum, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered. How many people? Everyone say, like so many. Like so many people, right? So many people gathered around him uh, together that there was, not, there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of the men. So you get this scene, right? All these people are crowded around Jesus. Jesus is teaching. And these, these four people, have a, they're carrying a paralytic, a paralyzed man, on a mat. And so since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Now, if this is your house, right? Some of us want to see a miracle, but we don't want a miracle that involves roof damage. I just, I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. Because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. That, now, this kind of happens fast as I read it out loud, but could you imagine how long this takes? Like, especially if they weren't great at, like, repelling people. So here this paralytic comes down. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this introduces a new twist into the conversation. Do you remember that thus far, Mark has been setting up Jesus as one with authority. He teaches with authority. He casts out the, uh, the embodiments of the evil uh, kingdom. He casts out evil spirits with authority. He casts out physical disintegration, death that's coming onto us. He casts it out with authority. And now we have a new thing, a new space of darkness. 
It's not a space of darkness that necessarily takes uh, demonic form or even physical form as it relates to a malady, but rather we're talking about something that's going on in here. And Jesus seems to be claiming authority on even what's going on in here. What does he say to the paralytic? Son, what? Your sins are forgiven. Is that what he asked for? Do you think that's why those four uh, friends of his lowered him down? All right, we got to get his sins forgiven, so let's claw out the roof and lower him down. Do you think that's what they wanted? Come, talk to me now. No! Jesus flips the script. But does he? And I just want to lean into this just for a brief moment. Sin, demonic oppression, a fever. Is this not all part or manifestations of the kingdoms of darkness? The evil out there, the evil that's killing me, the evil that's in here. Is that not all under the domain of darkness? Do you see how these things all fit together? Not that one causes the other or anything like that, but just notice what Jesus has been doing. He's marching towards his enemy. But here this man is not his enemy. He doesn't say, you're a sinner, I slay you. But he gets at what's going on in the heart because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from one another. It, it begets toxic shame. It begets internal oppression. It begins internal, begets internal decay. And what this man needed was to hear, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Do you remember that on occasion, Mark will use a literary device where he will put a proclamation about who Jesus is in the most unlikely of people's mouths? Do you remember that? Watch this. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. This is, they're, they're opposing Jesus. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Notice the question. Who can forgive sins but... There's one person who can do that, and the scribes know it. Who is the answer? Okay, so, who, so do you see what Mark is doing here? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, you guys want to see God in the flesh? I'm giving him to you. Right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which if I was a scribe, I'd be like, well, what? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, which that is easier to say, isn't it? Because you can't prove it. Or say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the son, what have we been talking about this whole time? The authority of the king. But so that you may know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has, what's the word? Authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he pivots to the paralytic. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. Because there is nothing, nothing, nothing quite like Jesus. So he's the king who says, follow me. And then we follow him. And where do we follow him? We follow him into the dark. 
And Jesus, when, he, when we follow him into the dark, he will use us to bring the light of the good news of his kingdom into spaces where there's physical disintegration, where there's spiritual disintegration, where there is death and decay he wants to bring life. And friends, my question for you as a follower of Jesus is this. What does it look like in your life to be a citizen in the kingdom of God and to follow Jesus into the scary, dark places where death and disintegration seem to reign, to be an agent of life, of healing, of peace, to be a follower of Jesus and to follow him even into the dark. As a church family, we're committed to following him together, and so let us be a people who live in light of this truth. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we give you thanks. We pray that in all things we would lift you up, that your name would be glorified, and by the power of your spirit, that you would continue to shape us into the type of people you want us to be. Lord, as we follow you into the dark, into the disintegrated spaces, into the places where death seems to rule, we rest on your power, your strength, and your peace. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.